0: that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. While Seven of Nine is left alone for just over a month, Janeway shows us the value of relying on experts. She also gives us a glimpse into a powerful change management methodology that we'll explore in the 25th episode of the fourth season of Voyager, One. We start out in the mess hall with, (laughs) oh, yeah, this won't be at all awkward. Uh, Seven is gonna be social. Us, uh, that doesn't oh, she walks up to harry kim and bolana torres and it does not go well ensign kim what is your place of origin but luckily the doctor comes to the rescue turns out it's just a holodeck program where he's trying to help her be more comfortable in social situations she's taking him very literally he's missing all of the nuance, which is really really kind of par for the course with her you know she's still relatively new having just arrived and been deborged at the beginning of the season but she and the doctor have developed a really strong mentor type relationship at this point he's working to help her better acclimate to life on a starfleet vessel and don't and don't think that that irony isn't lost on me right the hologram you know the computer program is the one teaching an ex borg how to be more human. <laughs> I love it. Well, the ship is approaching a Mutara class nebula. The thing is huge, so massive the ship's sensors To me you're saying sense ores. What is that? What? But that's how it's said. Sense ores. Everyone knows that. Sensors. Well, the sensors, the sensors, e- either way, the ship can't even read how big it is. As they're working to figure out their way either around or through it, Kim detects radiation that quickly starts to impact the crew. Paris drops to the deck and Kim's skin is scarring up. They're barely able to reverse course, which stops the radiation from affecting them, but, but the damage is done. Sick bay is completely overrun. The doctor and Seven are unaffected by the radiation, so they're treating the crew. They're successful, Mostly. One, one person didn't survive. But after those that did survive recovered, Seven, in astrometrics, has mapped the nebula. The nebula extends for at least 110 light years, possibly more. At the least, it would take us well over a month to get through it, and more than a year to get around it. And on top of that, the crew can't handle the radiation. But Janeway will not take no for an answer, And I am damned if I'm going to be stopped by a nebula. The doctors determined that putting the crew in stasis chambers, like suspended animation, is the only way to get through the nebula. He says that his plan is to put the crew under while he monitors them, and he'll also monitor the ship's functions during the journey. Luckily at this point, he, he's got rudimentary knowledge at least of the ship's systems and could probably handle keeping the ship on course, but Janeway... Janeway isn't convinced. But you'll need backup. They have no idea what the effects of the nebula on his systems would be, and as any experienced manager will tell you, you never want to be just one person deep on any critical process. This is where the doctor reminds Janeway that Seven was also unaffected by the radiation. So Janeway goes to ask her to back the doctor up. She's eager to agree, but Janeway is still skeptical. She mentions the impacts of loneliness, especially for someone that just a short time ago was was, was part of a collective, part part of a hive mind. Still, Seven of Nine insists she's up to the task and that she can handle it. Janeway agrees with the plan and does the next thing any decent manager or leader would do. She gets the brain trust together. She knows that this is dangerous complicated and and absolutely under no circumstances can this fail. So she's pulling in her experts to walk through the plan. She also knows that more brains are better than just one. She's meeting with Chakotay, Kim, Paris, and Torres. They're questioning her on her plan, trying to to poke holes in it. But but the doctor has provided her with answers to, to everything. still not liking the idea. Paris asks, I assume that we've explored all the alternatives. And Janeway responds in such an amazing, insightful way. She agrees with Tom first, that she's not comfortable with this plan really either. But she says that she thinks it's about loss of control. By choosing to not argue with Tom on this point, but instead agreeing with him, she deflated any more opposition to the plan. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody was excited about it, right? But they weren't looking to shoot it down anymore. After this, they have consensus on moving forward, so everyone leaves and gets to work. Well, everyone that is, except Chakotay. I want you to tell me that this isn't a mistake. He has concerns with leaving Seven of Nine in charge. She and Janeway haven't had the smoothest relationships so far, and as we saw in our episode on Message in a Bottle, she has conflicts with a lot of the crew. And this is the person I'm giving responsibility for the lives of this entire crew. I suppose you want me to tell you I'm not crazy. She says that she truly believes that Seven wants to do the best she can, and that she wants to be a contributing member of the crew, that this could be an opportunity for her to redeem herself in the eyes of the crew. Chicote, Chakotay? Chakotay's satisfied by this, but honestly, honestly, I'm, I'm not objectively, which is how Chicote was coming at this seven. Seven is a terrible choice. She has yet to give any indication that she'll put the crew over her own personal desires. In fact, as, as he even points out here, she has been actively insubordinate on a number of occasions I feel like I'd need more than a, than a gut feeling or instinct to agree to putting the lives of the entire crew in, in her hands. But that said, the only other option is to have the doctor do this on his own, and, and Janeway's already shown us the folly in that. What makes this scene work for me, my headcanon on it, is that Chakotay and Janeway have a strong relationship that has its foundation rooted in trust. Just being able to confront and ask her about this speaks to that. I think he just needed to to voice his concern to to be heard and then see her reaction to it. She heard him, even repeated his concerns back to him and and agreed with them. And when she did that, she didn't get all all defensive and combative. She responded in a way that was in alignment with their trusting relationship, And, and that's It's really all you can ask for in a situation like this, right? The doctor's putting people in their chambers. He, uh, he's put everybody in the same area on deck 14 to better monitor them. But Tom Paris is really not cool with this at all. Do I detect a hint of claustrophobia, Lieutenant? (sighs) Why do they have to design these things like coffins? But of course, Kim is there to help him through it. Should we replicate you a teddy bear? Hey, what's wrong with having a teddy bear? I mean, I still have my teddy bear my granny got me when I was born. Bobby. I don't sleep with him, but I still have him. I kind of resent that remark, Ensign Kim. Well, Janeway goes under, and the ship is under the doctor and Seven's command. It's just the two of us now. We join them 10 days in. It's been one week. They have a daily routine, and all seems to be going well. We follow Seven as she goes through key areas of the ship, checking readings, making small adjustments here and there. It's all good. Well, till somebody screws it all up. Lieutenant Paris has left his stasis unit and is unconscious. I'll be right there. Apparently, there's a mechanism where they can let themselves out of the chambers themselves. Well, some safety feature or something. The doctor says that it's not normal, but also not really uncommon for people to come out of stasis and, and basically sleepwalk. Paris was out and about for a while. It's weird. It's weird that the radiation didn't seem to affect him like at all i mean they just got close to the nebula earlier in the episode and he was out for the count but now that they're deep inside of it nothing hmm. yeah i don't i don't know about that the doctor decides to fill their time by heading to the holodeck to practice social skills some more it goes a little better this time, kind of. She's, she's visiting with Neelix and then Janeway, but, but she's just talking shop. I understand you have some knowledge of warp field theory. Perhaps you could assist me. Let's see. The subspace field matrix looks right. Captain. The doctor stops the program and tells her to try again. They're interrupted, though, suddenly by an emergency in engineering. They end up having to eject the antimatter tanks, and it's, it's getting worse very quickly the readings show the hole is breaching and then then everything is okay like nothing nothing is wrong at all apparently issues with the bio gel packs caused false readings so they go off to repair them you know you'd think you'd think that somebody would have told them that the gel packs needed maintenance or or at least encouraged them to check on them given the radiation from the nebula I mean, that's what their inspection ultimately reveals. The nebula's effects are causing unexpected reactions in them. And another unexpected reaction, the doctor's program is beginning to deteriorate. They rush back to sickbay and determine that his mobile emitter is no longer any good. He's going to have to stay in sickbay the whole rest of this trip. They agree that Seven needs to step up her patrols and her checks. The nebula is impacting the ship's systems much much more and much worse than they had expected we fast forward now to the 29th day seven reports in her log that her dreams are becoming disturbing and that she's starting to succumb to the loneliness after dealing with some more systems issues the computer reports they still have 6 days 5 hours until they get out of the nebula she continues her patrol and then she starts hearing things She hears Tom Paris again, but but can't find him anywhere. In fact, she ultimately finds him safe in his stasis chamber. Another starship suddenly hails, asks for an equipment trade. She beams him over to to do the trade. He says that he's all alone on his ship and luckily is resistant to the radiation. He wants to be the first of his kind to cross the nebula. He's an explorer. As they're talking, he asks, How are you handling the loneliness? She doesn't have an answer and just tries to continue the trade. He wants to stay on the ship longer, but she refuses. He keeps pushing the issue and and then she refuses aggressively, ultimately leading him back to the transporter at phaser point. As they're walking down the corridors, she hears Paris again, which distracts her just long enough for the guy to run off. She goes to the doctor for help. He can't detect the intruder assumes that he must have a cloaking device he tells her though that it is critical that she finds the intruder but but he's not going to be able to help in any way as she's on the hunt she continues hearing a multitude dying, of more seven. and more Don't voices but she continues looking trying Nine. his best to them. Me. the intruder tragus hails her starts taunting seven. her i know your sensors can't detect me so if you want to know where i am You'll have to ask. He sends her on a wild goose chase to engineering and then to the bridge. She's hearing more voices and now, now she's seeing crew out and about burning up from the radiation. She shakes the visions off and decides to play hardball with Tragus. Let's play another game. Let's imagine that the oxygen on the bridge has been depleted. She thinks she's beaten him, but then... Then he walks into engineering where she is. She blasts him with her phaser rifle, but it has no effect on him at all. And he just keeps taunting her over and over. The doctor, who's repaired his mobile emitter in the last few weeks, walks in and sees her yelling and pointing her phaser at, at nothing. She's hallucinating. He tries talking her down, but she is in a really bad way. She slowly begins to accept that almost everything she's experienced has been a hallucination. The doctor confirms the effects that have impacted the bioneural gel packs and his emitter have also impacted her Borg implants. She admits that she's feeling fear. She's afraid. She's feeling apprehensive. And as they're talking, the systems start failing around her again. The doctor, the doctor's program fails. He's dead. The doctor's gone. We fast forward again. A burned Harry Kim is now taunting Seven as she checks in on the ship's progress. They just have- 17 hours, 11 minutes. That's an eternity. Left to go. Her hallucinations are completely out of control. Voyager has a, has a green hue now, like a, like a Borg cube. There's even a Borg chasing her. You cannot survive without the Collective. I will adapt. By becoming weaker, less perfect. I will adapt as an individual. One one alone. A Borg cannot be one. I feel like this Borg's been reading some Ayn Rand. Hmm. Her panic and anxiety are growing. Taking control. She's seen Tuvok, Janeway, Paris, Chakotay and Kim all all just pushing her buttons, taunting her, just just talking talking trash. She tries to maintain her self-talk and, and finally crumples on the deck. I am 7 of 9. <sighs> I am alone, but I will adapt. And then she passes out. Moments later, she wakes up in sickbay with the doctor, Janeway, and Chakotay all waiting for her. And you, and you, and you, and you were there. She made it. Just, just barely. I'm glad I was able to help. The episode ends where it began. In the mess hall. She joins Kim, B'Elanna, and Tom Paris. This is no holodeck simulation. She's still terribly awkward, but but a lot better than she was before. She's also very, very vulnerable. I felt the need for companionship. They have a really good conversation about her experiences. She shares that Paris escaped his unit four different times. Harry digs into him a little bit, but, but Seven stands up for him. Perhaps you dislike being alone. Could you do it? Could you spend 35 days alone? 35 days alone with the lives of the people you work with and care about on the line? For me, when I first watched this episode, I thought, yeah, I could totally handle it. I mean, honestly, I'm a pretty introspective, introverted kind of guy, and 35 days isn't really that long, is it? Well, a few years ago, a poker player named Rich Alotti bet $100,000 that he could spend 30 days in total isolation and darkness. Afterwards, he said that he started hallucinating after just three days, and ultimately, he gave up after 20. Many Catholic saints are described as hermits, people that would leave society to live alone in the presence of God. The negative effects on them were, were often so severe that around the 13th century, the Pope and the Church actually started putting rules into place that limited complete isolation. So maybe I, maybe I couldn't do it, but I'm really, really, I'm just so thankful that I don't have to, but do you know who does have to many prisoners around the world and through the United States correctional system are subjected to solitary confinement or the shoe. Mr. Healy, how are you? I'm in a cement box and people are screaming. You needed a little time out to think about your behavior. As they called it in orange is the new black. You know, Janeway's hollow novel program that Netflix turned into a series, but seriously in the name of rehabilitation and corrections in the name of justice, we are forcing people into situations like this. A 2018 report from the association of state correctional administrators and the Lehman center at Yale law school estimates at the low end, there were about 61,000 people in solitary in the United States alone. On top of that though is, is is just how long. I mean a lot he started hallucinating after just 3 days. And the average stay in solitary based on really sketchy data because it's all self-reported and admittedly categorized and filtered is just under 30 days. 30 days in solitary. It blows my mind that we treat humans like this even now in the 21st century. 7 of 9 could hardly maintain her sanity, and and she at least had something to do, a responsibility. But spending nearly as long as she did with no purpose, all alone, it's it's just sick and inhumane. So could I do it? No, now I don't think I could, and no one should ever, ever have to. On its whole, this wasn't a great episode. Not not in my opinion, at least. I mean, Jerry Ryan's performance as Seven of Nine is amazing. She's she's basically the whole show. Could you imagine needing to learn all those lines, especially with all the technobabble stuff, and a lot of it playing off of a pre-recorded computer voice? It's amazing. If she brought any less to this episode, it would have been a total stinker. The glocks, glass is fun. Come Come right now, don't walk, run! Hi, I'm Renzo. I'm Big J. I'm Dag and we are Beyond Track Podcast. Our YouTube and Anchor shows go beyond episode discussion to bring you the latest news, hilarious episode riffs, Dag, don't forget the deepest of deep cut easter eggs and celebrity interactions. John Billingsley, Aaron Eisberg, Doug Jones, Marina Sirtis. Not to mention convention reveals and scripted productions that explore the history and future of the Star Trek universe. Engage us every week and thank you for going boldly with Beyond Track Podcast. Hi there, cadets. In our last episode, where we watched Discoveries Choose Your Pain, we talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Well, I created a tool to help you do the same thing for yourself. For your free copy of this tool, visit jeffaken.com and join our mailing list. You'll get access to a copy that you can download for yourself and for your team. Just visit Jeffaiken.com and join the mailing list. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Tom Paris escaping his pod with no injuries, no ill effects from the radiation. People not thinking to remind them to check the bioneural gel packs. You know, the, uh, the entire nervous system of the ship? Hmm, seems a little sketch to me. I did, I did really admire the strength of Seven of Nine, though. This was an interesting examination of mental health through a trying and challenging time. She was lonely. She, she was alone. Her anxiety was growing at a near exponential rate, but she maintained a positive self-talk. She relied on mantras and, and worked to adapt to the situation. And even with all that, it wasn't enough. And that is such an important distinction. She was doing all the right things, but still suffered the effects of her isolation and anxiety. What, what I take that to mean is that we can't do it alone. Even the most mentally healthy need help in some situations, just like someone in peak physical health does. Just because Arnold Schwarzenegger is still throwing serious iron, even in his 70s, doesn't mean he's doing it alone. I'm sure he's got a spotter and a crew of people that help him with aftercare when lifting. None of us can make it alone. None of us. Not even the guy that is talking to you right now. So why wouldn't we need the same thing? For our mental health? Well, simple answer, <laughs> we do. I really appreciated this aspect of the episode. Command codes verified. Janeway's in stasis within the first, like, 12 minutes of this episode. and that time, though, she walks us through leadership in a crisis situation. Beautifully. As we've discussed in recent episodes, she leans on her experts, the, the, the bigger brain, instead of just going on her own and trying to be the hero. She understands the danger of relying on just a single person or resource for any critical process. And, and my favorite here, she lays out why people freak out and resist change. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. A lot happens really quickly in the beginning of this episode. In an instant, their progress is blocked and they're going to have to get really innovative to keep moving. Janeway starts her investigation with Seven, where she gets the facts. About a year to go around or about a month to go through, but then they got to deal with the radiation. It's interesting, now that I say that, that taking the path around adding a year to the journey isn't even discussed after this in fact that's even more interesting given what we're going to talk about here shortly well anyway she she decides they're going through so her next stop is the doctor What are the options given the radiation well he's adamant that the only way is stasis I wonder I wonder if the warpness cells are out of the question do you remember our episode on Enterprise the Catwalk? There was a massive storm they had to go through that was full of radiation, so, so they camped out in the nacelles. All hands, this is the captain. This catwalk is going to be our home for a while, a week, maybe more. Maybe the tech has just changed too much. Either way, she's made her decision and she has the method, but she's identified a flaw and that is relying on only the doctor to get them through it all. This is near prescient as the doctor does have issues in the nebula. It would have been catastrophic for him to have been left on his own. But this whole back and forth between the two of them is important and super relevant to you. Having just one person that can do a thing is terrifyingly dangerous. From the assumption of positivity, this leaves you just one accident or one surprise win away from... From being lost. You'll hear people say things like, yeah, we're fine unless they get hit by a bus, But but, but I prefer, hey, we're fine unless they win the lottery. Eh. Either way, you're in the same place. One breath away from losing someone your entire operation is dependent on. From a more nefarious perspective, this allows these people to essentially hold you hostage. You need them and they know it. They want to raise, you're giving it to them. Give me a raise or I'm quitting. A raise? They want a fancy revolving gyroscope of a workstation that costs over 15 grand? Yep, they're getting that too. I used to work in an organization that used barcodes to track applications. They'd come in, get a barcode slapped on them, and, and we'd scan them as they moved from step and step through the process. It's a pretty ancient system and there were plans to deprecate it, but... But that was still a ways down the road. There were literally two people that knew how to support the system because they're the ones that created it. This wasn't a commercial solution. No, totally homegrown. So guess who had the nicest offices? Guess who had their own parking spaces? Yeah, those guys pretty much ruled the roost because they knew that everything we did depended on them. So you always want to be sure you have a backup. Or as we'd say in the subservice, a backup for the backup. Having more than one person trained and ready for every operation, but especially your critical ones. That way, you won't be in a position to be held hostage. But also, the people that know the thing won't feel that they're being held hostage by you or by the process. They'll be able to take time off or look for new opportunities without the, without the knowledge, without the responsibility without the weight that everything hinges on them. Janeway's insistence that the doctor have someone backing him up saved the ship. Had they relied on him alone, he wouldn't have been able to address the bioneural gel pack issues, and Voyager would have been lost. So I want you to identify your key and critical processes, and who's trained and ready to run them. Now, if you've only listed one person, (laughs) you've got some work to do. So now she has all the pieces in place. She doesn't just rush ahead and make it so. No, she brings together her trusted experts and has them ask questions and try to try to poke holes in the plan. This is an amazing way to end up with the best possible solution to any problem. What goes well in this meeting is that Janeway has anticipated many of the questions and concerns that will come up she's able to respond to most of the questions with information provided from either Seven or the doctor. Now, that's an important detail. She's not answering as if it is her knowledge or her expertise. No, she says things like, The doctor assures me it'll be just like taking a nap. This immediately adds credit and credibility to her responses. She's demonstrating that this isn't just the world according to Janeway, but it's the best information that they have at the moment. It is interesting, though, that when Tom Paris asks, I assume that we've explored all the alternatives, that the topic of adding a year and going around the nebula just isn't even brought up. I mean, honestly, maybe maybe they're okay with that, but we don't know. You know, it's not a great option, but it is an option. It's an alternative. Even if it's rejected, it, it bringing it up shows at least two things. First, it demonstrates transparency on Janeway's part. Second... It potentially strengthens the stasis plan because the thought of adding a year to their journey is unbearable. Like When I'm asked for recommendations on a strategy or, or a large purchase or something, I'll always include what I think is the ridiculous option that, that no one will like or agree to because, because frankly, it is an option. You know, I'll do something like, option one is migrating our applications to the cloud, which will have these benefits and these risks. Option 2 is to replace our application servers, which will have these benefits and these risks. And here's where we go a little ridiculous. Option 3 is to maintain the status quo, which has no benefits and all this risk. Now it might seem just just kind of kind of dumb to point out that third option, but it is an option. And if you have someone making the decision that's overly cost conscious or or doesn't trust newer technologies, this helps draw their focus to actual options that can solve the problem. Janeway masterfully deflects Tom's question here, but but I believe it would have been a lot more beneficial for her to acknowledge that going around the nebula is at least an alternative. In that masterful response, though, she shows great empathy by agreeing with everyone's resistance and their concerns. And then she explains, she explains why people tend to resist change. It's about loss of control. Look, is she wrong? I mean, it does not feel good to not be in control, to not know what is coming. When we think of change, right? We tend to think of these massive earth shattering changes, new software shifting to remote and hybrid work and meeting spaces. Yeah. Having uh, new ownership come in. And yeah, those, those things are huge. They are scary, but we. But we deal with change at a much more micro level every single day in fact i've heard it said that one of the most disruptive changes that can happen at work the thing that will upset people the most is where they sit where their desk is at he said I, I don't care if they lay me off either because i told i told bill that if they move my desk one more time then then i'm I'm quitting i'm going to quit And, and i told dom too because so when you hear the phrase change management know that it's about more than just those big changes that get all the media and all the attention janeway hits on one of the biggest reasons people resist change they don't know or they don't understand the change they feel like it's something they don't have a say in and that they can't control ProSci is an organization that helps organizations work through change and learn how to manage it on an ongoing basis. They have a methodology that I use in change management called ADCAR. You may be familiar, but like so many tools that we use, it is an acronym. Of course, why wouldn't it be? The acronym names the five measurable outcomes a person and an organization need to successfully navigate a change. Those outcomes are Awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. Each of these are measured on a zero to five scale, with five being the ideal outcome. Defined simply, and really this is a very simple model, but the simple definitions are awareness measures the awareness that a change needs to happen. Desire measures how much people want and how much they support the change. Knowledge measures how well people know how to change. Ability measures how well people are able to change, like having the right skills, the right training. And reinforcement measures support, usually, usually from leadership, the support to sustain the change. Janeway addressing the feeling of loss of control really speaks to awareness and knowledge. If people know and really believe that the change needs to happen, that they need to be put in stasis, and they know and understand what that means to them, like what it will be like, they're going to be more accepting, more willing and ready for the change. As a leader, preparing your teams for change is your job. There are a number of methodologies and approaches to change management, but, but I've always had success with ProSize approach. ADCAR, especially applied with an understanding of their three-phase process, is powerful and it has never failed me. Now, disclaimer, this is not sponsored content at all. This is just something that I know works. So check it out. I'll put I'll put their link in the show notes. No, no affiliate code or anything like that, just their link. Go check it out and then let me know what you think. Seriously, go check out the ProSize site. Share your thoughts with me. You can share them with me on Twitter at SFLA Podcast or across all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff, T as in Tregus, A-K-I-N. And you can also share your thoughts in the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast group on Facebook. Now, computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. We're going right back to Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 18. Inquisition. Oh, this'll be a fun one. This episode adds a dimension to Starfleet that was the basis for, for one of the movies, strong theme and later discovery, and even a rumored series all its own. Yep, we're going to be introduced to Section 31. I can't wait to see what lessons and takeaways we can get from this one. But until then, ex astra scientia!